0: quest starts here
1: hey welcome in to the q code podcast everyone thanks for joining us Travis Danny Alan here back, to back for another week give you some knowledge of things. you do not know (laughs) or maybe you do really just things that
2: you probably didn't even know you cared about yeah until now i don't know you'll just be walking around the house being like yo guess what i know
1: i've realized that as we you know because each week we're trying to come up with stuff i mean we to talk about and that we want it to be Interesting enough, and uh, I'm finding that just as I'm having questions, or not questions, but just regular conversations like I normally would, I'm note I'm starting to notice all these questions coming up, and I'm like, oh, I got to write that down. I got to write that down. There's just so many questions, apparently about life <laughs> that I just <laughs> don't know. But well, that was the premise
2: of this whole show. As we figured, we would never run out of content. Nope, because there's probably more questions in the world than weeks that we have in our lives yep. so
1: so good for you guys we will be here forever and
0: every question just creates or every answer just creates more questions mm. so well we jeopardy's have jeopardy's been on the air for how many years
2: and they just keep asking
1: until they just keep Alex giving you answers. Dies. <laughs> <laughs> but um we have a good show today uh we have let's see Danny's going to be talking about the Fibonacci sequence and uh, why it is so special, or what is so special about it. Uh, Alan has uh, something. He's going to be talking about the Tyrannosiris Rex mission. And- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to make some type of joke like that. <laughs> <laughs> the Osiris Rex mission. I, I am going to be honest. have no clue what that is. So I Should will be, be, be right, segment, right there with all of you on the edge of your seats, <laughs> waiting, um, and then I will end things by talking about who were the Nyland brothers. So oh, it's Nyland. This whole I time. thought it was Nyland. Yeah, because I, I read somewhere that they were from Irish descent. So I was like, ah, oh, the Nyland brothers. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, no, they. Are hey, hey, hey. hey.
0: oh, the lucky charms are magically <laughs> delicious?
1: No, but it, oh, it, they are the boy, it, it now. they are Americans, <laughs> just of Irish descent. Uh, but yeah, it was pronounced Nyland. You guys so, remember that movie, The Pest? Yes, with John Leguizamo. Every time I hear it Irish, great I movie might be of that. Where he's
0: like, Ah, oh, Father Shalini.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen The Pest, we recommend it. We don't recommend. I mean, it is not an Oscar winner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you just want. Fun
2: entertainment for two hours. Well, it's probably like 90 like an, minutes. Yeah, 90
1: minutes. But um, before we get going, uh, I just wanted to mention something here to dan E. <laughs> I So you may see, hear me going back and forth. I, for my whole life, have called you Danny. Now in your adulthood, you I dropped like the, the, the N Y e, and you just like to be called. You're telling everybody like that you meet my name's dan Well, I can't do that. (laughs) It feels weird to me, so sometimes I try it out just for fun, and I say Dan, and it just makes me feel sick to my stomach. So then I just go back to calling (laughs) you Danny. But so my my kids, uh, my daughter in particular, has only heard me refer to you as Danny, and we were listening to uh, one of the one of our recent episodes. And I called you Daniel. <laughs> and she's like, Who's Daniel? And I was like, That's Danny. She's like, What? I was like, Yeah, that's his name. That's his real name. <laughs> like <and> she's <laughs> like did not Wait, who this, was this? This is Harper, my my daughter. Oh. And it wasn't she, your wife. No, no, it's just she Clinton she's just and Clinton and Lilith. <laughs> um, she is just fascinated by the fact that your name is not really Danny or Dan it is daniel. daniel and she keeps like on probably two or three occasions since then she's been like hey so wait what is Danny's name again <laughs> i'm like well it's it can be Danny it's just it's shorter for daniel and she, i don't know i like just, danny cuz then you can
0: play that song that don't cry for me, Danny Boy. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Is that I get knocked down, but I get up again. Yeah. Chumbawamba Oh yeah, I know. There's a lot of. I, know, I, know I think there's multiple
2: songs that say Danny in it, and then there's also a song that's called called Daniel, isn't it, by John? Um, what's What's Rocket Man again?
1: Elton John. <laughs> Elton
2: John. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he sing a song called
1: Daniel? Does he? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean I like Elton John, but I don't know yeah. all of his songs. I know the uh I know he's circle sang, of life. Yeah, and I know he sang that song about Tony Danza. Tony <laughs> you Danza. Kids are looking at me like, What? <laughs> it's the, uh is that the who's the boss like, guy? Like uh yeah, yeah. It's uh Oh crap, now I'm just forgetting the words because I have stupid chumbawamba in my head. <laughs> It's actually not Tony Danza. It's Tiny Dancer, but it sounds like he's saying Tony Danza. (laughs) I
2: think it's this one.
0: This is the Rocket Man? It's
2: Daniel by Elton John. Oh. But I know from that very beginning part... Oh, you're traveling yeah, to on and play. Yeah. Oh, all right. all right. There's. Okay, well, so there's some songs. With hopefully, Danny we don't right. get oh,
0: copyright what? infringements on uh, this episode.
1: Well, if Elton John hears this and wants all the royalties, he can have them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right yeah. We don't have to we'll listen be to this his here. whole song because it's just. I just wanted Daniel you
2: guys in. to hear that. I must be the clouds in his eyes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, let's get going wow. here into Danny's topic. So let's start out like we always do. Please pardon the interruption. Je n'ai pas le moment.
0: J'ai téléchargé les photos du crime et j'ai réussi à déchiffrer le code. C'est la suite de Fibonacci. C'est le code que Sonia a téléchargé. Le commissariat m'a envoyé ici pour vous donner une explication. It is the Fibonacci yeah, sequence. But before from that, top, onde- I have an urgent message for Professor Langdon, right? Hmm? I was just thinking about Joey from Friends trying to learn French. <laughs> what does he say on there? He's just like, je m'appelle
1: Joey. And then he's like, je vais le She goes, je, ja, je, ja, me me pelle, je m'appelle, oui, Poo Poo. <laughs> Uh, so, yes, my,
2: my question is not necessarily about the language of French, but instead is about, was Fibonacci French? I should know that since I'm the one is that it, came up or with is it. it Italian? <laughs> Ta- yeah, Pisa. Where's Pisa? Italy, Italy isn't, isn't it? it? Tower of yeah. Pisa. Yeah. 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 Okay. So he's, he's Italian. And anyway, my question is, what's so special about the Fibonacci sequence? and i wanted to know this because throughout my life this sequence kept popping up he's like jim carrey
1: in 23
2: but instead of a single number it was a series of numbers that would just keep, keep on going. popping up <laughs> no it's just it's just one of those things that like you hear about it in school And then you hear it about you hear about it in movies and pop culture. And then it comes out in real life. You see it in documentaries. And then you see like you I mean, I'm somebody who likes to dabble in the stock market and learn about the stock market. And there's apparently Fibonacci in the stock market that people actually use the Fibonacci sequence as a formula to try and figure out the stock market. Really? So all these things keep kept popping up so finally i was like you know what they keep talking about this i don't even know i i I will be super honest
0: with you i didn't even remember exactly what the sequence was fibonacci the actual fibonacci sequence is fairly like simple yes it's just one two three five eight thirteen right close
2: or i mean you're right you just missed the zero and the one at the beginning he said one yeah i said one there's two ones oh yeah <laughs> but anyway, Zero I'll, plus I'll get to one that. Is one. No, what? what? So Leonardo Fibonacci was born in ni- eleven seventy um, in, I would assume Pisa, because his actual his real name was not Fibonacci. His real name was Leonardo of Pisa, and he wasn't even called Fibonacci. <laughs> that's that's what his his birth
1: certificate says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You shall be called Leonardo de Pisa. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so,
2: yeah, he was, that was what he was called until the 19th century, which I guess that would make that the 1800s when um, people started getting him mixed up with another famous Leonardo of Pisa. Da Vinci. And that was my question is like, I couldn't
1: find... If it was really Leonardo It had to be. It's not. either that or Leonardo from Ninja Turtles. Yeah. It probably Who wasn't created that yet then. So. He, was, he was younger. That's uh, what you're saying? You're, if, I, if that
0: was my name, Leonardo of Pisa. The poor or, You are you are set from for life with the perfect pickup line, which is would you like to try my Italian sausage?
1: <laughs> is that from something?
0: <laughs> No, I just made oh. it up. Oh. <laughs> but you you know, pizza always has Italian sausage. Is, and it's the perfect pickup line. That is gross.
2: <laughs>
0: I wonder if it worked.
2: <laughs> okay. okay. So anyway. Yeah, so Leonardo though came up with this sequence in the year uh twelve oh two. So I guess apparently when he was thirty-two years old, he came up with the sequence. Uh, Leonardo Fibonacci also brought other things, not just the sequence, but he was actually the one who brought the Arabic numbering system over um, into Europe and started using that because before that all they used was Roman numerals. Hmm. And if you try to like do math with Roman numerals, it doesn't work very well. Like, Trav, what is L plus X? 150.
1: 60. It is...
0: (laughs) It is 60.
1: Yeah. But.
0: Oh, why did I think X was 100 for some reason?
1: X is 10. L is 50.
0: What's but. 100? I don't C. Know. C. C. C note.
2: So anyway, yeah, he, that's some of the stuff that he was famous for doing. Um, but we'll focus today solely on the Fibonacci sequence. So do you guys know why Fibonacci came up with the sequence of numbers?
1: Because he just wanted to sit up there in heaven and laugh at all of us who think that there is something to do with it. (laughs) He's like, ha, for my 32nd birthday, I will write all of these numbers. (laughs) And we will uh, see
0: what they do. (laughs) Like when people come across them later and be like,
1: "What does these yeah. mean?" Somebody's just cleaning out his attic, you know, after he's long gone, and they're like, "What do these numbers mean?" I think so that since all then, the time. Just been trying to figure it out. Yep. He's like,
0: "I never thought this would last so long." <laughs> no, I think that all the time. Like whenever I'm writing stuff, like or like uh, doing math problems, like I have a notebook that I just like have for doing like astrometry or not astrometry well yeah it is astrometry astronomy astronomy problems and working out the math and calculating stuff but I'm like I wonder if in a hundred years someone came across this they would be able to know and interpret exactly what I was doing
1: probably not (laughs) I know if it was me I'd be like well also because my my handwriting is
0: so horrible I'm like nobody
1: would be able to figure this they're
0: like this is a long lost ancient
1: language (laughs) <laughs> is it some Japanese person finding here? <laughs> yeah, <what is> that? <laughs> oh, this is the long lost uh, ancient language. But do I feel like we're like, going to be in trouble one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> like our, All our, our, our Japanese,
0: our listeners. horrible <laughs> accents hey, on YouTube. Do. I think our listener, like the we have the United States, and then it's like Germany or something, and then Japan is like the third. Ah, country. Germany. Most of our listeners. Los. But I also wonder. I'm like. Are they just do they actually know English or are they just listening to
1: like they came across and like this is a great way to learn English? Is just listen to English. You know what? If you guys want to learn English by listening to our crappy English, you go right ahead. We'll take those views. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So anyway, what was your question five minutes ago? (laughs) (laughs) Jeez.
2: But do you ever wonder if like Michael Jackson is up there with Leonardo Fibonacci right now and he's like, hee hee, guess what? My single was number one for like X amount of weeks. And then he's like, Oh, that's great. My number sequence has been popular for over
0: 800 years. <laughs> that's what you were getting at. <laughs> I was just oh, so At first, I was like, What
1: is he talking about? And Fibonacci is like some mix between like a Japanese dude and. <laughs> and how do you
2: do the yeah. Italian voice again? <laughs>
1: It's-a me, a Mario. Yeah, just, just do Mario. <laughs> My numbers have been popular <laughs>
0: for 800 years.
1: Okay.
0: It's-a medium a number. Wasn't there an SNL skit with The Rock and all he ever did? He was supposed to be Italian, but the only thing he ever said was, Meats-a-balls. <laughs> I think so. <laughs>
2: all right. I guess we should refocus a little yep, or else folk. we're going to be here for 10 hours just doing accents. Which...
0: That's fine it's with me normally but, what it's probably what most of our episodes are that's true that's people cute. probably refer like
2: I don't remember what it's called it's like they do the cute. worst accents <laughs> It's like the cute cute the accent code yeah accent code or something like that anyway so yeah the the question was why did Fibonacci come up with this sequence of numbers? I don't know
0: and trav doesn't know. He uh, just my thought guess it was a jo- or a trick on his 32nd birthday. My guess is was he an artist? And he started knowing noticing like something with the human body and when he would draw it, there were certain ratios when he was drawing. No, mm-hmm. even though I guess you could say you were on something
2: later. But Fibonacci came up with this sequence of numbers because I don't know for sure. This is the story. He owned rabbits apparently, but I don't know if if this is just, okay, let's just say he owned rabbits. (laughs) Okay. Cause I could go off on a tangent of like, but how would they know? Anyway, he owned rabbits. He wanted to know if I were to put these rabbits in like an isolated area and like assuming that no rabbits die and he put in all these assumptions like, okay, so if I put in one pair of rabbits at the beginning, how many pairs of rabbits will I have at the end of the year? And the assumption was that it takes one pair of rabbits one month to get to the point where they can are mature enough to mate, and then one month of is it gestation? Till sure, you, till you like can have the babies. Yep. And so, assuming incubation that time, each pair of rabbits ha- gives birth to a, another pair of a male and a female, and then that just continues. So, how many rabbits would you have? So he had to come up with a sequence of numbers to figure it out. So if you had one pair of rabbits in the cage, they got to one month old, they mated. At two months, you still have. Well, at one month, you have one pair of rabbits still. At two months, you now have.
1: Are you asking? How many, well, how many, you how me. many
0: offspring do they have?
1: Yeah, it's how do you know one. that?
0: How do you know that? They
2: have, he's assuming they always have one boy, one girl.
0: Oh, that's, so that's a stupid
1: assumption. Because- so. At- <laughs> Yeah, rabbits come out in litters. Have you not heard the saying, you know, mate like rabbits or something like that? But I think that's what he was
0: getting at. Okay, so after one month, they
1: do it. Yep.
0: Another month, they have their first baby and say it's a boy. Oh, so- Their assumption is they always have a pair, a female and a male. So then they have to wait a month, right? Mm -hmm. So there's four. but, but But the first two do it again. Yep. So they can have another. Okay, so you so at the end four, of one
2: month you have one
0: pair. At the end of two months you, you have, have
2: four, four, two, two pairs. pairs.
1: Two pairs. At
2: the end of three months you have three pairs. At the end of four months you have five pairs, and so on and so forth. And that's what became the Fibonacci sequence. So the Fibonacci sequence, at its simplistic basis, is basically you just take the two numbers in front of the next number, add them together, and that's the next number. So it's zero, one. So zero plus one is one. One plus one. Two. One plus two. Three.
1: Two plus three. Five. Three plus five. Eight. Five plus eight.
2: Okay, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> but if you get it, right? Yeah. So that's like how the whole Fibonacci sequence came about. Is literally he apparently wanted to know how many rabbits he would have after 12 months if they were all those assumptions were correct and he put them all in like one area. Right. So at the end of 12 months. He figured there'd be 377 rabbits or pairs of rabbits. Dang. And was he correct? In a
1: year? If all those assumptions were correct. Well, yeah, yeah but were all the assumptions correct? That's what I want to know. I don't know. I don't. Know. Why did he want to know how many rabbits?
0: <laughs> was, he, was he in the rabbit breeding game? I don't
2: know. That's what I'm saying is like, I don't know why this was so important to him.
1: Because he was thinking about creating a. A new business called the Rabbit King, where he would just sell rabbits. And still- I am the Rabbit King! <laughs> <laughs> I come to my store! I have so many rabbits! <laughs> buy one after, one pair, after one just three. one year. If you buy all of them, I will have them way more later. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to start out with two rabbits. And then I have 377 pairs
2: after one year. Well, I'll Is tell that you. My it's, like a, up? it's
1: like a Scottish Japanese person. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to get back into it I'll tell it you, again. if you could do
0: that in the stock market, you'd be f***ing rich. It's true.
2: So, anyway, that's the Fibonacci sequence in a nutshell. So you can create this visually, and I will try and maybe post some stuff in social media so you can see it, but... So people started posting, basically creating, okay, let's do this visually. So they created a one-by-one box and put it next to another one-by-one box because the sequence goes zero, one, one, right? And Mm -hmm. the zero would be invisible. Next to those two one-by-one boxes, they drew a two-by-two box. So a two-by-two box is big and it's wide enough to cover both the one-by-ones, right? Mm -hmm. Next to the one-by-ones and the two-by-twos, they drew a three-by-three they drew a five by five, and so on and so forth. They just kept drawing bigger squares, which just kept uh, expanding out this thing that's just like basically a giant rectangle. Mm-hmm. And then, if you draw a line from the one by ones all the way out to the two by two, three by three, four by f- or five by five, eight by eight, it creates a spiral
1: or a seashell. Ah, yes. <laughs> Kind, kind of, of look, yeah. yeah. Looks like a seashell because
2: that is one of the things that they say <clears throat> they find the Fibonacci sequence or the golden ratio in, and that's what we'll get into next. Side note: If you guys had to guess what day of the year is the holiday Fibonacci Day,
1: what would you pick? Um, December third.
0: <laughs> one, two,
1: three. Yeah. What day of the year? I don't
0: know. January. Second, One, two.
2: <laughs> so you go one, two, you go one, two, three. Yeah. It's uh No,
0: I'm going to say December.
1: You right. can't say December 35th because that just doesn't work. <laughs> no. It's November know. 23rd. Ugh. One, one, two, three.
2: Oh, so close. Oh. You guys were on the right track.
1: Anyway. We'll give ourselves that half pat <laughs> on the back. On the back. So <laughs> the
2: point is that if you take. The Fibonacci sequence, and you always take the larger number and you divide it by the smaller number, right? So the further you go into the sequence, the closer you get to what they call the golden ratio. So if you take 3 and divide it by 2, it's 1.5. If you take 5 divided by 3, it's like 1.6-something. But it gets closer and closer to the point where it's 1.618034, and that's what they deem the golden ratio, and why is this important? Well, I'll explain. So there's a Greek term, phi. I don't know simplify. if you Simplify. So phi is basically the decimal point. So it's 0.618034. And it's an irrational number, meaning that you can't simplify it down to bas- like a basic fraction. It can't ever be simplified like down to like... Yeah, like exactly like pi. Like pi is also one of those irrational, Dude, irrational numbers. Irrational
1: numbers always have to rhyme with like pi. Si, si, pi.
2: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, kidding. if they It's a good question. It's too rational. Ah, just kidding. That's a good question though. Now I'm gonna have to go. Like, no,
1: you. Just, it's look nothing. It it's garbage. It's, <laughs> it's it's nothing. You have to look up.
2: Well, now I'm curious. <laughs> See, this is the whole thing with questions. I work on one question and it comes brings up another one, and now I'm gonna be like Phi, Psi, Pi. Kai.
0: Oh, your son.
1: He's, He's irrational. Catha like is irrational Fibonacci. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so anyway, if you take that uh ratio, um, then they've from that ratio they basically made what they call you, they've made things called the golden section, which is basically a line with that's parted into sections. And there's an A section and a B section. And if you take the ratio between the A section and the B section, again, it comes back to that 1.618. They have what they call the golden triangle. Again, it's if you take the shorter piece and you take the longer pieces and you create the shorter pieces of the base and the two longer pieces is the, the two sides. It would make an isosceles triangle. That's considered the golden triangle. They have the golden angle, which again is just on a circle. And if you take the same ratio and you take one hundred and thirty-seven point five degrees of that, that's the smaller part of the circle that you would end up with from that ratio. And this they call really, that. This
1: is a visual thing. <laughs> <laughs> you just you guys just try to just figure out what these things are.
2: <laughs> they call that psi. Uh, what? <laughs> So, I think Trav's onto something. That's why I was like, "Ah, oh, I want to know. Oh, you
0: guys. So, so, that's the 100 and how many degrees? Pretty much a 137.5 degrees. Of a circle.
2: Yeah, which would be like the inverse of, so, if you took that ratio of it, right? So, one more question for you guys. Where have you guys seen the Fibonacci sequence or the golden ratio, like, In the world around you. Have you ever come across it? Have you ever ran into
1: it? (laughs) I can truly say no. (laughs) At least that I know. (laughs) Have I seen the golden ratio? Yeah.
2: Have you seen the golden ratio or the Fibonacci sequence in in anything or
0: noticed it on anything? Well, human beings. Yeah. Explain further. That's just like, you know, the classic diagram of like the human being with his arms out. or whatever, and then, like, apparently there's some... That that painting is called The Vitruvian Man. Is that by Leonardo da Vinci? It is. Yeah. And apparently, I mean, I don't know exactly how, but there are ratios in there that are, like, all about the Fibonacci sequence in the human body, like, arm length or torso length to leg length or something like that. Distance between eyes. Yep. So... Leonardo da
2: Vinci was
0: pretty obsessed
2: with the Fibonacci sequence and A.K.A. the golden ratio, and so in a much of his work, he utilized the golden ratio when he would make things. And yes, the Vitruvian Man is one, uh, the Last Supper painting that he did, his Mona Lisa painting, have all use these these golden ratios. So, like, if you take that same concept that I said with the squares. And you like overlaid that onto the Mona Lisa. And mm-hmm. I believe it was like her nose would be like the center point. Hmm. And you started drawing it out, it would kind of, it would perfectly go up around her head and down like her shoulder and everything. Like
1: hmm.
2: if you did the spiral. So, but yeah, so Leonardo da Vinci was a big believer in the golden ratio. But other places in human history, besides those paintings that you would see it, is it's in architecture. The, they say that the Stonehenge has been set up in a way that would uh, utilize the uh, the Golden Ratio. The Great Pyramids of Giza were built in such a way that they represented the Golden Ratio. The Pantheon building in Greece uh, has a bunch of Golden Ratio type of measurements on it or, I don't know, architecture on it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Notre, Dame, Notre Dame, which is now and not... It- and Got it's lit on fire.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah! Remember the cathedral. that?
2: Yeah, all the wood at the top bur- burned off. And or I burned. think they're trying to say like they're trying to rebuild it, but there's something like if there's winds over X amount, then it's just going to collapse. And they don't think it's going to take them five years to rebuild it. And if that a wind over, Did you ever say 60 how
1: it degrees. started? I don't
0: know. I don't remember hearing how. But. Yeah. They probably did. I just don't remember either. But, but if they don't rebuild it to how it was before, they're just going to
1: get a bunch of backlash. People are going to go up in like arms. You were going to stay up in flames, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> People
0: are going to be up in arms. <laughs> being like, this is bull crap. But um, The Taj Mahal is another one. Is but it? were all these built after the Fibonacci sequence
2: was known? Stonehenge, I'm going to say, was before. Same and with the so is the pyramids. Uh, but And Parthenon, I think. So, Notre Dame and Taj Mahal, I think we're after.
1: Fibonacci was not the creator. So, of yeah. The uh,
2: <laughs> so, I don't think Fibonacci was necessarily. Um, the no, creator. so what i I don't think at he at even is, knew that it would turn into the golden ratio.
1: Yeah, he was just trying he to freaking, freaking try make rabbits. He was trying
0: <laughs> to count his rabbits. But what I'm getting at is, is it like in the pyramids, is it? Just a coincidence, or were they actually thinking about that when they built the pyramids? I don't know. Uh, you
2: got to ask the ancient Egyptians that question, I guess, to know for sure. But well,
0: I don't have their email.
2: There's two basically, there is a camp that says, Nope, none of this is real. It's not really that way. And then there's the other camp where if you watch, like, look on YouTube and stuff and look up the golden ratio and the great pyramids of Giza, and they'll show you the like overlay on top of like a satellite image of the uh, pyramids they'll draw those little boxes like I was explaining and then they'll show you like look this is exactly the same
0: ratio between this one and this one the placement of all of them and everything is it just so. coincidence they were the great pyramids of Giza and the guy who came up with the Fibonacci sequence was Leonardo of Pisa?
1: yep ah. See, I told you there's something about
0: this rhyming thing <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, Da Vinci painted the Mona
2: Lisa. Oh. It's just, it's out of control, guys. We are it's on the. It's pronounced to something. Lisa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, the Star of David. Are you guys familiar with that? I no. am. Mm. So basically, that star is made up of five golden triangles, as I explained earlier, what the golden triangle was. And then in the middle of those five golden triangles, you're left with a pentagon. If you take that pentagon and you split it up the same way, again, you can just have a smaller version of the exact same Star of David. Oh. And then you could do it again and again and again and again. So it's like a fractal. Yeah. Exactly. And fractals was my next example. Of I the liked Minacci that sequence. show, oh. Fractal Rock. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yeah, it was like a little like girl creature that was like purple with like a tall hair. In a tall, one pigtail. Pig
0: it's <laughs> what? <laughs> what he she was just is? making was a just making play a off about of Fraggle, Fraggle Rock. Rock. Yeah, I know. What were? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about?
2: <laughs> Wasn't that like the main girl in Fraggle Rock? Maybe was, I don't know. I d- was know like that. a freaking puppet character, and she was like purple, and she had like. Her hair was, like, in Okay, gray, yeah, I just didn't know that up. you were
1: playing along. I'm oh. sorry. I just, I wasn't, it was just supposed to be a little tiny joke.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, fractals. Um, fractals are awesome to look at. They're mesmerizing, but basically it's just, like, you can zoom in or zoom out of, like, a shape or series of shapes, and it just always creates just a bigger or smaller
0: version of that same shape. Yeah, it just repeats and repeats and repeats no matter how far you yeah. zoom in. It it's, contains all of its information, If all of the information to make that shape inside itself. Yeah. So just look up fractals and you guys can just be it's mesmerized like, for hours. It's like the natural version of Russian dolls. You know how you open a Russian doll yep. and then you open that one and then you open that one. Yeah. But if that just went on for eternity.
2: Um, music they found the golden or Fibonacci sequence or the golden ratio in music. So an octave on a piano is separated by, so if you will go from one octave to another, so like from, and I'm not a musician, but I'm assuming that that's like from one C to the next C, right? Is an octave.
1: You you think I'm a
2: musician? (laughs) That is an octave. It's seven notes, right? If you go from that on a piano between octaves, there's eight white keys and five black keys. Where have you heard that from before? I don't know. (laughs) The Fibonacci sequence, 5-8. Oh, okay. Man, we just went over this. So (laughs) they found that Bach, Mozart, Schubert, among other composers, have all used the Fibonacci sequence in some fashion in their music that they've written. And so it can be used in music. And then like I was talking about earlier, the stock market has been something that they have even tried utilizing... The Fibonacci sequence um, in to try and figure out what the stock market's going to do. So there's a guy named Ralph Martin Elliott who developed the Elliott wave principle, um, basically saying that, hey, in a bull market, I think there's going to be like five upward cycles and then three downward cycles. Or in a bear market, the opposite five downward cycles and three upward cycles. So Basically, it's the numbers three and five from the Mm -hmm. Fibonacci
1: that he's basically using to try and figure out what the market's going to do. Or just three and five from normal numbers. (laughs) Doesn't have to come from the Fibonacci sequence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't ever say that this stuff was all like... Legit, I just mean, you you say it that way, it sounds like Fibonacci created numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he did bring them from
0: now that you mentioned the Arabic system. I wonder if there would be some type of correlation of the Fibonacci sequence in like sports when because teams always they'll go on a run, but then it'll end, and then the other team will go on a little run, and then that'll end. But it's like who goes on the bigger runs? That's true, like we should track that in basketball and be like, okay.
2: Team A won the game and they went on 8 runs
0: and Team B lost the game and they went on 5 runs. Mm-hmm. So that's 8 and 5. That's Fibonacci. But then you you need to define exactly what a run is cuz what I hate when I'm watching like say basketball is they use that term way too loosely cuz I hate when they're like oh man Toronto is on a 17 to 13 run That's not a run. That's just, they have scored four more points over the last, (laughs) however many. I get what you're saying. But if it's like a 10-0 run, I get that. But 17-13 run,
2: that's not a run. I get what you're saying, and I know that you're trying to make a point, but I will give you 50 bucks if you show me a clip that someone said they're on a (laughs) 17-13 run. Because that I've never heard that in all the sports. I've heard 17-3. Okay, I will show you.
1: Thirteen, he will show you.
2: I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll find one, <laughs> and it can't be you being like, "This isn't an announcer from <laughs> ABC Sports." And Toronto's on a thirteen, seventeen, thirteen run. All right, but anyway, so there's a woman named the Fibonacci Queen. Even now, you can go to her website. I think it's like FibonacciQueen.com, and she uses the Fibonacci sequence to predict the stock market. So, I mean, it's something that is still used today and apparently has enough traction that people have bought into it and are trying to use it to figure out the stock market. But the thing that is more exciting to me than any of that man-made stuff, because anybody and, you know, we're great at looking for patterns and finding things like that and we can create things because we saw something. We're like, oh, let's use that sequence, right? But it actually happens to occur in nature. So if you go back to that spiral that I was talking about that you could create Mm -hmm. spiral galaxies look very much like the spiral you create from the Fibonacci sequence. Also the Nautilus shells that you were talking about, Trav Mm -hmm. again, from the Fibonacci sequence, you can get that spiral, um, flowers and plants. So here's, (laughs) this is another one. That's like, I get it but I don't get it because their argument is there are many flowers that have petals that represent the Fibonacci sequence. So there's a bunch of flowers that are like have one petal or two petals or three petals or five petals or eight petals or whatever. Right. So on and so forth. So like lilies and irises have three petals, buttercups, wild roses, larkspurs, Columbine. I'll give you a (laughs) buttercup. Okay. (laughs) Five petals. That's what I get. Pinks. They all have five petals. Uh, eight petals are delphiniums. Is that how you say that? Delphinium? <laughs> Why do you
1: look at me? I'm not like an herbologist. <laughs> or, like, I don't even know. What I, is that? Like a I horticulturist?
0: Thought, <laughs> I, is it a horticulture? I think it is. Is it? I don't, I don't know. I don't.
1: I'll look it up. I don't I'm even botanist. Know. i don't even, plant, botanist. I don't I don't even plant flowers. Uh,
2: delphiniums. Yeah. I okay. Know. I don't know, I'm not one either. I just thought maybe Trav
1: knew more about he it. He just than I when he doesn't know things he just looks at me. is that right? I don't
0: <laughs> so Dude, I'm listening to you. Horticulture is the art or practice of garden cultivation Hi. and management Sam's right oh. <laughs> I know horticulturist
2: okay, well, I didn't know that Trav. I thought you were
1: but okay so 13, this is thirteen petals. oh go ahead I was well, I might be cutting you short here. I'm just we're obviously it's. In a lot of things, right? So why I guess I guess we need to answer your question and the fact of why is it so special? Like why why does it matter? So
2: this is why is it so special, right? Is what because that's my question. Yes. Why is <laughs> yes Fibonacci sequence so special? So again, it comes back to and this is sorry, this is kind of my peak of my point. Okay.
1: Sorry, I, I ruined at. it. I ruined it at flowers. Wait, hang
0: on real quick. Botany is the scientific study of plants, including their physiology, structure, genetics, ecology, distribution, classification, and economic importance. So horticulture is basically a gardener. A botanist is basically a scientific gardener. All right. So which one are you, Trav? Neither. (laughs) Well,
2: dang it. Okay. But yeah, so... If you go through – so, like, I will skip over because I have a whole bunch more notes on the flowers, but we don't need to get into it. I think you guys get the points um, on the flowers, right?
1: That is surprising that you have so many notes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, there's this – like, we're going to use the sunflower, though, as, like, an example. So, inside the sunflower, in the, like, center part, what do you see? The seeds. Yeah. So, these seeds – grow in a certain pattern to pack in as many seeds as they possibly can and what they do is they utilize the golden angle and you're able to go through and you, by using that they're able to put as many pack as many seeds into a small space as they possibly can and if you go through you can count like the spirals that go in one direction and then count the spirals that go in the other direction and if you count the spirals going in one direction, it's always going to be one Fibonacci. So it could be like 13 spirals in one direction and eight spirals in the other direction or 21 in one direction and 13 in the other direction. So I've, always I've heard that somewhere before. Yeah. I have seen that example
0: with the sunflower seeds.
2: Yeah. And the same thing happens in pine cones and pineapples and artichokes. So like all these different things, like these numbers just keep showing up in in nature. Um, bee colonies, kind of the same idea as the rabbits. As male bees apparently only have one parent, they do not have fathers. Hmm. Female bees have two parents. They have a mother and a it's father. Poor bastards. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> um, and then this is kind of what something that Alan was hinting at, but we talked about the human body a little bit and the human face. So these are both things that use the golden ratio or the Fibonacci sequence. So on the human body, you have... One nose, two eyes. You have three segments on each limb. You have five fingers on each hand, five toes on each foot. So again, that goes through the whole one, two, three, five, right? Hey, what was the three? Three segments on each limb. So like, oh, okay, one, two, upper three. arm, <laughs> forearm. Since you can't see him <laughs> doing that, <laughs>
1: yeah. upper arm, forearm. Hand, (laughs) he's pointing to his, his. or
2: you got like your thigh and your lower leg is that what you call it? (laughs) And your foot, upper leg, lower leg, foot. (laughs) But so you, but the numbers keep showing up, is the point. Um, they say that the more your face resembles the golden ratio, the more attractive you are to other people. So, like, now. Uh, plastic surgeons are actually using the golden ratio in their software programs when they're trying to design someone's face when they're going to do plastic surgery mm. to try and get them proportioned as closely to the golden ratio as possible because that's supposed to maximize their attractiveness. Right. I'm going
1: to make you how Fibonacci intended you to be. <laughs> <laughs> you will have exactly
2: 1.618034. Ratio on your face. <laughs> um, and then all the way down. So we go all the way from right the galaxy, this ginormous thing, all the way down to DNA molecules. So uh-huh. DNA molecules have a sequence. They have, they're measured, if you measure them, they're 34 angstroms long and um, 21 angstroms wide.
1: But how many currics are they? 13. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, <laughs> what? If you know what that's from, people, you <laughs> let us know.
2: <laughs> but that's how much they measure between each full cycle of the double helix. And if you want to know what an angstrom is, it's a unit of measurement uh, of length equal to 100 millionth of a centimeter. Yeah, 10 to the minus 10 <clears throat> meters. Yeah. But anyway, so these things show up everywhere. So then finally, we're getting back to the whole thing. All right, Trav, what's so special about it? Well, the answer is Are you ready? Mm-hmm. No one ready. Wait, did
0: you say what this galaxy was? Is there anything about the galaxy? Yeah, it's
2: a you, spiral. You ruined
0: his, oh, it's you a ruined spir- his ending. <laughs> yeah. Now we got to record this whole thing over again. <laughs> A spiral matching the Fibonacci sequence? Well, that you could create from the Fibonacci sequence. Oh,
2: okay. I'll I'll go over this now and again, because I'm sure all of you guys already got it. Um, but... <laughs> hey, sometimes I just stop
0: listening. <laughs> and then but I, no
2: one really seems to know why the Fibonacci sequence appears so often in nature. So
1: can we just assume that that's just one of those things and just not worry about it? So,
2: yeah. You can go with either... There is an underlying reason, but the man upstairs just, we, he's the only one that knows. And, or it could just be a coincidence that this happened. Like you said, maybe, because the thing is that not all flowers have petals that number one of the Fibonacci numbers. Mm-hmm. It's just that a lot of them do.
1: So, so is that all why? All plants
2: grow according to the golden ratio. Just.
0: A lot of them do, mm. so so that's why it's like so hard to find a four leaf clover, because they're normally three. Four is isn't Fibonacci. <laughs> that's true.
2: So maybe that's why. But yeah. So anyway, that's just the longest way I could possibly figure out how to, to tell get you it. that it is not <laughs> necessarily <laughs> special. <laughs> that it's considered special because it shows up in so many different places, um, but there's no like hard proof that nature just abides by this law of Fibonacci, right? And that's just how it works. So I had one final question for you guys, and then I'm done with my segment. But after you hear, heard all of that, what do you guys now think of the Fibonacci sequence?
1: I think that it was a accident. (laughs) No, it was just something that, I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. Mathematically, I guess it makes sense, right? It's just simple addition in a sequence. Yeah. So when you're looking super simple on, well, yeah, when you're looking at that and you're looking at measurements and things like that by using simple mathematics, of course everything's going to resemble it. I mean, it's it's simple stuff. Everything. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like, it just seems to me like he stumbled upon something that just was a natural thing. And that maybe some people are kind of taking it, blowing it out of proportion. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know how freaking God does everything if you believe in, you know, a higher power. But maybe that was just the way that he just decided, like, you know what? I like these numbers. Let's make things like this. (laughs) But
2: This Fibonacci fellow is onto
0: something. So, yeah. How about you, Al? I mean, it's interesting um like if you like math i like math but from a mathematical standpoint it's interesting just to like whenever you discover like natural ratios and stuff like that it's pretty cool you could definitely use it i can see how you could use it to uh say you're creating like a uh, if you're programming a computer just create a completely virtual world you it would be very useful because a computer could just use a Fibonacci sequence for like a lot of like plant life or whatever that it wanted to create. Yeah I don't know. It has interesting aspects
2: to it. So okay, cool. So it sounds like we have one person who believes it's more of a coincidence and just happenstance that these numbers show up over and over again, and one person who wants to use them to build his own digital
1: I don't world. Know if somebody thinks that they're not. You prove me wrong and figure it out. Why are they so special? <laughs> <laughs> so. But that is true.
2: Because if you take pie, for example, like Alan mentioned earlier, and Trav realized that pie rhymes with phi <laughs> and psi, um, like, pie, it's, it's, pie shows you sound up,
1: like such a moron. <laughs> <laughs> Travis learned that how to rhyme, he learned that pie <laughs> rhymes with phi.
2: <laughs> But pi shows up um, possibly in even more things than the Fibonacci sequence does. So that's just another argument to say, like, okay, well, maybe it's not just this Fibonacci sequence. It's just math in general that is behind everything. And then you can explain it one way or another through math.
1: Good.
0: So
2: that's the conclusion of my segment. When it comes to
0: astronomy, pi is super important. Or any science because to know, you know, basically geometry in astronomy is like one of the only ways we can figure out distances to stuff. So, and it's all based on circles.
2: And that brings us into our next segment because I'm sure that some of the people that are working on OSIRIS-REx Osiris uh, definitely have to know some of that
1: math, right Yeah, Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> good Good. Segment or good uh, segue. That was, into, yeah. <laughs> that
2: was my way of saying,
0: Here we go with George the sounder. <laughs> okay, sounder. We have arrived. So, Osiris Rex, uh, you might be wondering, what does that stand for? Well, it stands for, and it's spelled O-S-I-R-I-S hyphen R-E-X. Stands for Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer. Man, they love acronyms. I know <laughs> so much. I've noticed that <laughs> they, they will do anything they have to do to come up with some type of acronym when it comes to like space probes.
1: Like okay, I've almost figured out like what a word for every one of these letters, but there's just <laughs> one that I can't figure out. Yeah, it's like how, so does, they, that how does they? Why they always just so nicely fit into what they're doing?
2: <laughs> is that why they spelled it like all caps, like O S I R I S dash R E lowercase X? Yeah, lower, like, lowercase explorer is just like
0: E because you get the R E from regolith. The first two letters of that, and then the explorer I would X assume.
1: is for explorer. Well, jokes on them. You don't spell explorer starting with an X. That's
0: why they. Well, I think it's the, the E.
1: Stupid. Regolith <laughs> is the R. The E is the beginning of
2: explorer, and then X is the second letter in it.
0: Or oh yeah yeah you're right. Sorry, my bad. I'm glad that it works either way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what is the OSIRIS-REx mission, Al? So, yeah, OSIRIS-REx mission is a mission to send a space probe to a near-Earth asteroid called Bennu, B-E-N-N-U, which is about half a kilometer across. That's how big it is. Um, So, it's pretty, it's not that big. So, that's pretty teeny. (laughs) Well, yeah. So half a
2: kilometer across, which would I mean be it's like less than half a mile. It's not
0: it's not ten kilometers like what killed the dinosaurs. It's it's about a twentieth of that. I mean if it hit Earth it would still cause a lot of damage. It would yeah. not be cool. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I- what was your question? What Oh, the mission. What is the mission? So we're sending a space probe. Uh, it's actually already there. The probe left in uh, 2016, uh, September 2016. And it took like two years to get there. Even though this is a near-Earth asteroid, meaning its orbit is just a little bit bigger than around the sun than the orbit of Earth. Took like two years to get there, and why did it take two years to get there? So I was wondering that too. But the thing is, with space exploration, your number one goal most of the time is to save energy because it's so expensive to send things up into space. So you want to you want to have the least amount of fuel on board the actual spacecraft as possible, Um, and then get to your destination using the least amount of fuel so the reason it took two years is because we could have just done a straight shot but that would have been a bunch of fuel that you just burn and like force the spacecraft to go where you want it to go but in this case they launched they launched osiris rex and it basically kind of followed um the same orbit as Earth around the sun for a year. Garen. <laughs> Is he snoring? <laughs> Is my dog snoring? Puppy. There you go. So after, after about a year, it they... They they timed it exactly so they could ha- uh, do a gravity boost off the Earth. So after about a year, Osiris-Rex came up behind the Earth again and got dragged along by Earth's gravity to give it even more uh, velocity. And then once it got that extra velocity, it shot out again into a bigger orbit and took another year to catch up to Osiris-Rex, or to Bennu. And then eventually go into orbit around Bennu. So that was like,
2: and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but how fast is Bennu traveling? And then so how much faster do they need Osiris Rex to travel
0: to catch up to Bennu? I don't know the answer to that question about how fast Bennu is orbiting the sun. Uh, I don't know the answer, but it's slower than Earth.
1: Oh, I was just going to say fast because... It's still it's probably in fast. space. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. good assumption. I agree. But it sounds like Alan's mm-hmm. saying slower than Earth. Because
0: is that because it's a bigger orbit? Yeah. So it's in a bigger, it's in a further orbit than Earth around the sun. So, um, Actually, I think it does come in closer to the sun at some points. So, at some points, it's probably going slower than the earth. Some points, it's going faster because it's not a perfect circle. It's kind of elliptical a little yeah. bit. I'm not sure exactly how fast Bennu is traveling, but. Cool. Well, yeah, did I answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, but I think, okay, so let's get into it. So you're saying that that's how it got to Bennu, and at this point, 2019, three years after the launch, it is now caught up to Bennu, Bennu and it is now, is my understanding is it's in an orbit around Bennu um, at this point. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, so right now it's in an orbit around Bennu.
1: It's in an <laughs> orbit taking it from <laughs> it's, so funny. it's like how many times we say Bennu. <laughs> <laughs> And seriously, the only thing that's in my head right now is I keep wanting to go, but 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 Bennu and the Jets. I thought the same exact
0: <laughs> thing earlier.
2: I did. That's the asteroid's favorite song. <laughs> so Why
1: it- we keep talking about Elton John songs.
0: <laughs> so it's the orbit Elton John special. It's in an orbit that takes it directly over its north pole, Bennu's north pole, and Benu's south pole. And the reason for this is because you only have to keep one orbit, like stay in the same orbit, but you can map out the entire surface because Bennu is rotating under you, right? So you just keep going around the same place, but every time you come around, a different part of Bennu is under you. So you can map the whole thing very efficiently that way.
1: All right. So is... The OSIRIS Rex. It's the OSIRIS Rex mission, but is the OSIRIS Rex the thing that's going yeah, to it? That's the name of the probe. Probe. <laughs> or the. Uh, Let's just call it a jet. let Just call it a jet. All right. <laughs> and we need to make a t shirt that says, and that has the asteroid Benu on it. Bennu and the jet. And it just says, Bennu and the jets. And we'll just have some. And there'll be more than one OSIRIS Rex? Yep. There'll be two. Or just one. Just Bennu and the jet. <laughs> that sounds good. We'll sell them. You guys want them? $100. <laughs> <laughs> For the first per, one. Per shirt.
2: Just kidding. If we get 1,000 orders, we'll decrease that cost to 25 Yes. That's so, amazing. okay. So, it's now orbiting Bennu and it's mapping it out. So, mm-hmm. why is it mapping it out? So, explain why it's mapping it out, and what the whole
0: purpose of this mission is. Okay, so the whole purpose of this mission is, um, first of all, this is a near-Earth asteroid, which we are very concerned with um, because these are the asteroids that we are not sure if at one point in the future could come in and hit the Earth. So, Mm -hmm. you know... It's basically we're trying to figure out as much as we can about these as soon as we can so that we're not put in this Armageddon situation.
1: See, and I'm not worried about that because then we'll just go and get a bunch of guys that are oilers, Mm -hmm. send them up, and they'll land on the asteroid and just start drilling. And then put a nuke in it.
0: Yep. The thing is, though, there's new science out on this. The thing is with asteroids, um, they have evidence of asteroids in our solar system that have been hit by other asteroids and completely been blown apart like a, what a nuke would do to an asteroid. But after so long, it's it, it seems that asteroids just have barely enough, um, the bigger ones at least, that would cause issues if they hit Earth, have just enough gravity that Over a long period of time, they come back together. All
1: those little pieces come back together and coalesce back into another asteroid. Like that T-1000 from Terminator.
0: Exactly. You blow (laughs) it apart, and then it's just like... And it comes back together. And funny enough, Bennu, they think, has actually gone through this process. It's been blown to smithereens before because when we arrived, we discovered it's not like uh, on... Armageddon it's not your typical asteroid that you you imagine just like a giant potato rock thing made out of like metal and rock this asteroid is like a gravel pile loosely hmm. held together by its own gravity so if you imagine a dump truck with a, just a shipment of gravel in it and you hooked that up into space and it was just loosely held together by its own gravity, that's basically what Bennu is. It's like not very solid at all.
1: Hmm. Um, So would that break up on entry, like through our solar system, our uh, atmosphere?
0: Those are questions that we have yet to answer. Like I don't think anybody's modeled this before because we've just been starting to figure out how loosely together a lot of asteroids are held Hmm. together. So... Um, there's that. De- that's definitely a big avenue of scientific exploration in the future, and this this mission will help us understand a lot about how this asteroid that is like that works, and uh, figure out kind of like what would happen if mm. it hit the Earth. Q. Um, so, so the reasons we're going there are just to learn more about these asteroids, near Earth asteroids in general. We really want to know... There's a thing called the Yarkovsky effect, which um, since these are near-Earth asteroids and any little nudge in any direction can, can alter whether we can do the math and see if it's going to hit Earth or not. We really want to go there to measure the, the effects of the Yarkovsky effect, which the Yarkovsky effect is... Um, as an asteroid is spinning, the part that's in the daylight, it's the sh- sun is shining on, is uh, and asteroids are normally darker, so they absorb more of the light than they reflect. Mm-hmm. So they're absorbing light, which means heat. So the light side is constantly just heating up, but then when that that side rotates around to the dark side that heat gets radiated out as infrared energy, infrared light. And even though life, light doesn't have mass, it still has momentum, which, can co- which causes a pushing effect. So it's on the dark side, it's like it's constantly being like a tiny, tiny little booster is pushing on it. Mm-hmm. I think I heard on OSIRIS-REx, it's something like the equivalent of three grapes, how much like the weight of three grapes constantly pushing on it. Wow. But over millions of years, that can significantly change its orbit. And um, we need to know that exact amount. For millions of years, it's just like three little raisins pushing. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to know that exact amount to see if, you know, to better calculate if it's ever going to hit Earth. Um, and other reasons to go to or to Bennu our asteroids in general are just like a a huge gold mine when it comes to information about the early solar system because these are asteroids are just remnants of of the materials that were around while the solar system was forming and while planets were forming mm-hmm. and then these are just leftover parts that didn't end up becoming plant, parts of planets um So these are like literally the oldest rocks in our solar system Hmm. that you can find to figure out exactly the composition of the materials that created the solar system. So Um,
2: this probe has been sent to Bennu. Its mission other than to map out Bennu is to ultimately basically almost land on the asteroid, send down an arm that will then pick up some sediment and then they will bring that back eventually to Earth, so they can study it. Yeah. So it sounds like you answered the question of why they're trying to get the sediment. It's just they're trying to understand what. I mean, are they looking for a new element? Or are they looking? Well, what so are they I was
0: going to get into that too. So, so not only with the sample, you can obviously analyze it in a scientific lab and figure out exactly you know what what is in it and how, what? so what was the early solar system made out of. But also they're very interested in organic compounds that have been found in meteorites um, that have been found on Earth. So is there so, life that they could find in it, basically? So, yeah, I mean, basically it's kind of part of the search for life. Um, will they actually find life in the samples? I don't think so. Um, but as far as organic compounds which you need to make life they know they already exist in some meteorites that they found so they're they're this will give them more of an idea of um you know how is that like a super rare thing is it very common in asteroids that there's this organic compounds all all over the place um and then also it would would asteroids have been the source of organic compounds on Earth, hitting Earth and then seeding Earth with organic compounds to eventually allow life to be um, created? So it is. It does have big implications for where life came from and how life gets started in a solar system.
1: Interesante.
0: Um, so uh, just like some. So if they're going to take the sample. And so, okay, so why they're ma- they're mapping out the surface first in a very good detail? I think it's like um, they have pictures where it's like seventy five feet by seventy five feet. If like in the pictures, of what it shows, and then so that's like each exposure that they take, and then you can get the resolution. The the resolution is like down to five centimeters per pixel, so that's pretty good. You can see f- and it's something that's five centimeters across. But they're mapping it so thoroughly because they need to find a place that is like relatively unobstructed by, by objects, by boulders or big craters or anything that's getting in the way of them actually coming down with the spacecraft and grabbing a sample and then flying off. And they're finding this to be very difficult because like i said earlier Bennu is basically a rubble pile so other asteroids that they've been to that have been more like what you would normally think of an asteroid it's it's you know a few boulders here and there a few craters nothing big whatever or nothing like super hard to map but this is literally like just Boulders on boulders, craters on craters, rocks on rocks. So it's super hard for them to just like have a computer analyze these these pictures and accurately uh, build a map of like all the hazards that they need to avoid. So there's a cool citizen science project that I have actually signed up for, um, and where you can help them map out all these surface features on Bennu. If you go to CosmoQuest.org, you can sign up there, and basically they give you one of these 75 feet by 75 feet pictures, and you sit there and you mark all the craters, all the boulders, and all the rocks for them. And then once they get enough people, I think they need 15 people to do each picture so that they can compare and be like, oh, well, this person wasn't just marking bullcrap. <laughs> you know, they need to have a 15 people consistently mark that as a crater before they know, okay, that's a crater. Um, and then they will build their their final map of the surface, and then be able to pick like the best spot to go down and grab a sample. Um, Man, you if just- you want to help out, real quick though, because they need all of this done by July 10th because they're on like a a, a set time limit here. So by July 10th, so that in um, I think it's I don't know if it is maybe March of next year is when they're actually going to go down and grab the sample and then fly away
1: and then come back to Earth. So you just fell into their plan. What? You just became a worker and they're not even paying you. (laughs) That's why it's called citizen science.
0: (laughs) It is basically.
1: So they need need eight months advance
2: notice for this thing to be like, okay, I'm going to descend now. And then grab a sample. <laughs> well, it's Trav. Super... Would you like the job of marking craters
1: and boulders? No, thank you.
2: I think we should. <laughs> I think we should film Trav doing this and post it on YouTube. Okay. And just be like, Trav,
1: how many boulders
2: have you counted so far?
1: <laughs> Why don't you just take a a camera and film me sleeping? Because I would. Because that's creepy. You find so many yeah, boulders. <laughs> I'm like, there's so many freaking boulders. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I I'll, I tried one, and it kind of is a lot. It's it, It'll take you like a half hour minimum per like, This is per the per worst picture,
1: but Sudoku ever.
0: But <laughs> this is going towards a good cause. It's our future scientific knowledge and everything. And this is about an asteroid that might hit Earth someday. So, huh. anyways, I think it's cool because to- you get to be a part <laughs> of something cool. That is cool. And they are on a time limit, so th- they are like desperate. They're like begging people, well, like please should- help us out with this. They should pay you then,
2: because. I know that the company that sent up Osiris Rex just so happens to be a company by the name of Lockheed Martin, Mm -hmm. which just so happens to be a multi-billion
0: dollar corporation. They built the spacecraft. Yeah.
2: So they should have some cashola for us folk who uh, (laughs) will mark boulders, craters, and other things on their pictures.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Give us monies. But you can't give them their inf- your information and they will like give you credit eventually somehow.
1: Well, in want, some small way. I want credit in a check. You get like an email back and it's like, digital high five! <laughs> <laughs> you are it's, now part of
2: the
0: club who had gone through 7,000 pictures. Congratulations! You get this thumbs up! Well, let's see, I'm, I'm on the website right now and... Okay, completed images. So this is how many images people... Up to, or at least, fifteen people have marked our 1,434 remaining images. 2,634. So they're about a third of the way
1: there. Maybe you just and get somebody have, that comes on. It's like a Alan Barnes. You are out of this world. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Tra- you for helping. Trav is really stuck on the email that
2: you're <see>. I keep thinking where we've moved on to like, another subject. Look here,
0: here I'm just showing you guys. Uh, that's one of the pictures, and you have to mark all those boulders, all craters, of them and rocks. Yeah, see what's considered a boulder and what's considered a rock. So a boulder, a rock, basically, it'd be easier if I say what a rock is. A rock is probably <laughs> a rock is anything smaller than
2: like. Okay, so we'll we'll try and explain this to you, the listener, since you
0: can't see a this. rock is going to be anything smaller than
2: that. So there, there's kind of a grainy, grayscale-looking photo. Um, it's got some protuberances, um, some shadows. Alan has pointed out a blank spot. Okay, I think As they know what...
1: <laughs> okay, we it don't really like have to explain to people yeah. what a rock looks like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but if you imagine this is... I wanted to give the play-by-play. Play. If you imagine this is 75 feet by 75 feet, then how big is that boulder going to be?
2: Uh, guess
0: About 10 feet by 5 feet. See, So if you go off that, then what would be considered a boulder and a rock, I would say that anything smaller than that, what I pointed to, would be a rock. So from rock, what he pointed to, be looks like it's about one
2: by one. One foot by one foot. Anyways. All right, so... Is there anything? I mean, so now we know that they're going to go there. They're going to get a sample. They're mapping out the entire object. They're trying to figure out how the effects the Karskowski effect or whatever you the said, Yarkovsky yeah, effect is going to affect it. Um, they're going to bring the sample back. So let's. So finally, what year is the sample expected to be back on Earth? And where is that sample supposed to? Land,
0: <laughs> you caught onto that too because I was I was excited when I heard where it was going to land. But so the and real quick, it's like imagine the game you know the game where the like claw, the claw comes game. down and then picks up a stuffed animal and whatever. It's kind of like that of how they're, they're not actually going to land the craft on the on the um, surface. They have like a long arm thing, so they're going to come down with the long arm and then like. It'll hit the surface and then they like have some mechanism where they blow a big puff of gas and then that like sucks up a bunch of up to two kilograms of material into it, put it in a canister, and then when they put it in the canister, launch the canister back off toward Earth and in twenty. So is it? basically We this company has spent
2: and and groups have spent millions of dollars to send a probe up to an asteroid so that they can fart on it. (laughs) Okay, and pick up sediment. That's what what you want to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wouldn't that be how you describe going up there and blowing a little gas? (laughs) Anyways,
0: (laughs) so once it gets its its sample, it. Shoots it back toward Earth on another freaking long journey to save energy and all that stuff. Um, And on September twenty fourth, two 2023, it will splash back down um, over Utah in the – where is it? Utah Test and Training Range in the Utah deserts. I'm not sure where exactly that is in Utah, but – I just heard Utah. So oh, okay, I thought that was kind of so, yep. cool. They'll have uh, crew waiting to uh, get the sample and secure it
2: and everything. I think we're gonna send Trav out there to uh, film the landing
0: and post. So it September twenty fourth, two thousand three. I I mean I chances are I might be there. I might make the journey out to wherever it is to watch it come back down.
1: Cool. Yeah. Then Alan can film it. <laughs> <laughs> We don't need to send Travis out there. (laughs) Just
2: like sending Trav on errands that you can tell that he would not enjoy. (laughs) Like,
1: when is it coming? Is it falling from the sky?
2: They had me counting rocks until 2023, and now I'm just watching for this little thing to fall out of the sky so that I can take a picture of it
0: and see if it's rocks or (laughs) boulders. All right. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> well, what they're gonna get is not gonna be anything close to rocks or boulders. Gonna they're gonna be, be getting a... fine-grained regolith material. But all yeah. right, is that? Do you have anything hey, else? Al, or is that? I think that covers everything that I had.
2: Okay, so now, yeah. So I mean, I am not telling you because I know that basically my segment lasted the amount of time between when Fibonacci came up with his sequence to now. But I think we just lived however long Osiris Rex's mission has been so far in that segment. So was that a long segment? So Trav, um, can you help us understand in real time the entire World
1: War II? Yeah, no, because I'm not talking about <laughs> World War II as a whole. We- <laughs> so this is Trav's segment. Let's go into my segment. It doesn't make any sense, sir. Why? Why? Why do I deserve to go? Why not any of these guys? They all fought just as hard as me.
2: Is that what they're supposed to tell your mother? When they send her another folded
1: American flag? Tell her that when you found me, I was here, and I was with the only brothers that I have left. And there's no way I was going to desert them. I think she'll understand that. There's no way I'm leaving this bitch. So, yeah, that was a long... <laughs> took a book out of Danny's... Or took a, took a, a page out of, out of Danny's book uh, about these sounders. Typically, I like to find something a little bit shorter, but there was just nothing that could really explain my segment uh, in a shorter amount of time, except for that clip. So, um, if you know what that is from um i mean that is uh, saving private ryan um last week marked the 75th anniversary of the invasion of normandy in world war ii aka d-day um, and uh, you know president dwight d eisenhower called it the great crusade that will bring about the destruction of the german war machine and the elimination of nazi tyranny now Um, I am a huge fan of, well, I'll say fan because I'd rather had it not happened, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I find uh, World War II very interesting. And uh, this started back in probably like 99. Now, Saving Private Ryan came out in 98 and I never saw it in theaters. I didn't really know much about it. I obviously didn't care at that point. Then when it came out, I rented it and my world was blown. So
2: Saving Private Ryan was the reason that you got so into World War II. Yeah.
1: I mean, I seriously I, didn't know that. See, I
2: thought you were into World War II and then
1: Saving Private it was Ryan that. was that and more. and that sent me on this weird trek to find other war movies that gave me the same feeling that Saving Private Ryan did. But none do. Oh no. There's nothing. Zero. Yeah. And that, and it, I mean, I, I, you know, I watched Wind Talkers with Nicolas Cage, and that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> there was like the Thin Red Line, but that yeah. was kind of like no. There and... is, I mean, there are definitely war films that I enjoy. Um, I mean, there. I mean, we could get into it. There's, a, there's another. That's I feel like that's a whole other um, question and and sequence that we that we could do, but or segment. But uh, what I. What this really was about is that last week, there was a special um, event that went on in a theater that uh, was was here in our, our community and uh, and they were playing Save and Private Ryan in the theaters again, which is something that I've always wanted to witness because've I've pretty much built my theater room in the basement of my house because of Saving Private Ryan. I wanted to... Really? Yeah, I wanted to watch that movie in that environment. Surround sound, big booming. Like, I just wanted the whole effect. And no so matter what I have do... Have you watched it in your theater? Well, no. I have it. <laughs> because I, I wanted it to be like a special time. I don't know. Like, I don't just want to sit down and just watch it like I, I've... It's got to be the right moment. I don't know why it sounds kind of weird, but now I don't necessarily have to do that because um, I was able to go watch it in the theater and it was definitely emotional. I mean, it's an emotional movie anyway, but just the whole ambiance, the, the, just the feel of it. And the finally, you know, I mean, this is 20 years later. I got to finally go and witness how this was in the theater. Now, so does it make a difference with, like, the surround sound and oh, yes, all that stuff? Oh, yes, definitely. It's so much different. Uh, it's so much better, but... Because they definitely,
0: if you've looked into the making of it, especially the first uh, D-Day Invasion part, which is, like, 20 minutes, maybe? Yeah, it's about minutes But it's, like, now. 20 minutes of the most action-packed, like, it realistic is realistic, storming the beach on D-Day. Sound effects are, I think, like, actual, real, mm-hmm. like... Perfect sound effects. And then at the time, I think it was like the most uh, pyrotechnics ever
1: used in a movie yeah, it, before. It was just amazing. But um, while I was sitting there waiting for the film to start, they had a bunch of like trivia about the movie going on. And uh, they, you know, mentioned the the Nyland brothers, which is what my segment is about, is who were the Nyland brothers. Um, and I had known... That Saving Private Ryan was loosely based on somebody. I read it in a book somewhere. I couldn't remember. It was forever ago. But I, you know, when that came on, I quickly like made a note of it, and I was like, I'm going to do some research on this. I'm going to talk about this eventually. So that's what kind of brought this to light. Um, and uh, so I just lost where I really wanted to go with this <laughs> in my notes. Well, and then. Um, I just wanted
0: to say like the first time I ever saw it, I did see it in theaters for the first time, but I was like a little kid. So I didn't really understand. Oh yeah. You don't, you don't get it. Going on When it, yeah. When it came out. But, um, the think- reason we saw it was, I, I don't know if you were there, but we, when my grandma and my grandpa were there and my grandpa was, is a World War II vet. Mm-hmm. And so like, I guess we thought he would like it. But after the oh, movie, no. after the movie, we like asked him how he liked it, and he was like, kind of like very somber and sad. And just like, he, uh, I think the only thing, the only thing I remember him saying was like, it was too real. Yeah. It was re- just, well, too and that's,
1: real. that's what a lot of people say. I mean, I kind of did the same thing. My, my, um, this wasn't with Saving Private Ryan but it was I think with uh, Pearl Harbor. Mm. Went and saw that and my grandmother and my grandfather was there and you know I asked them how they liked it at the end because I mean it was like although Pearl Harbor is not probably the greatest war movie ever you know um, <laughs> at the Har- time yeah, yeah at the time I was like this is so cool you know planes flying <laughs> and explosions but uh, you know I asked my grandma and anytime I asked her about anything war like she goes yeah it was interesting but I have a hard time with with these type of movies because my brother died in world war ii now mm. their uh her brother now i don't know the whole story um but uh you know he he was he he died in the battle of the bulge um he was a in like a glider so like what they would do is they would like drop these gliders and then so that they could go and land uh quietly Um, and, uh, I'm not exactly sure how he died, but there's some pictures like of of, that my family has, um, of him kind of like right before, like it all happened. But, uh, he, I mean, he was there through the whole thing. I mean, the battle of the bulge happened like in like the, like the late 1944, early 1945, like in that winter. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what
0: was that battle of the bulge?
1: Um, it was like So it was like, you know, I can't remember everything, but it was it was pretty much like the last event before like the whole the whole war just started to give way and we started to make headway inland, um, or well into Germany and things like that. Yeah. So, but anyway, it was. So I I get that. But before I talk about the Neyland brothers or the Nyland brothers, um, I'm going to talk about another group of brothers. Uh, They are called the Sullivan brothers. Now, the Sullivan brothers from Iowa, um, like the Nyland brothers, uh, were a family of soldiers. There was George, Frank, Joe, Matt, and Al Sullivan. So five brothers. All joined the Navy on the same day in early 1942. And as they signed up, they stated that they had just one stipulation, and that was that if they were going to serve, they were going to serve together. Now, despite the Navy's unwritten policy of separating brothers, they allowed the Sullivans to stay together. But on the morning of November thirteenth, nineteen forty-two, during the Battle of Guadalcanal, the cruiser that the Sullivans were stationed on was hit by a torpedo from the Japanese submarine, uh, or from a Japanese submarine, and the ship exploded almost instantly. And before long. Was at the bottom of the ocean, so all of these brothers, five brothers, at the same time were all killed in action. Um, Is that all the kids that were in that family? Do you know? I have no. I don't. It since I wasn't really going into them, I didn't. I didn't go much more into that. But I mean, I mean, imagine being that mom, five yeah. flags coming to you at the same time. It just so because of that. You know, the, the government decided that from that point on, if you're going to be having family members, brothers serving, you were not going to be together. And so that kind of takes us into this story of the Nyland brothers. So the Nyland brothers are from a, a town called Tana, I don't know how to pronounce this, Tanawanda, New York. Don't know where that is. But uh, there was Edward, Preston, Bob, and Frederick, who also went by Fritz. Now, I'm going to just go one by one. I'll tell you a little bit of the story of each of them. Uh, They're not long because there's really not that much information known about all of these guys. Um, But so let's start with the story of Edward, uh, who's the oldest on May 16th, 1944, less than a month shy of D-Day, Edward parachuted into Burma, which I didn't know exactly where that was, but I guess it's near Thailand (laughs) somewhere. Um yeah. And uh from Also oh, he was
0: in the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. He
1: was he was the only one in the Pacific. The other ones were uh yes, in the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> on the European front. <laughs> on the European front. Yeah. But uh he he uh parachuted out from his B twenty five Mitchell bomber plane, which I looked up a picture of, it. it's actually kinda of cool, but um he missed his mark and, and it kind of seems like that was like the theme for all uh parachute infantry and, oh. and things like that. It's just it, well yeah not just them but just everybody is that they all miss their mark. Now if I I wanted to go into a little bit more about D Day and mm. what really transpired there because uh if you, have you ever seen or read the book uh, Band of Brothers? I've seen Band of Kay. Brothers. You've seen Band of Brothers, and so, it's, ama- it's, it's another the, one that's amazing, amazing because it's by the same people. HBO, HBO, HBO. HBO, yeah, that was beta, the HBO right? miniseries. The ten is that ten episode. Yep. Yeah. Well, Spielberg produced it, um, a lot of people, you know, each Tom Hanks. Yeah, Tom Hanks directed one episode. I believe was episode five, which is actually one of my favorite episodes. Oh, he did a really yeah. good job with it, but, um, but yeah, so in episode two, when they're going in. Uh, because w- from what we know from Saving Private Ryan is that, you know, they go in the morning and they're storming the beaches of Normandy. But beforehand, mm-hmm. they were sending in all of these, these parachute infantry troops that were supposed to die or jump in unknown and take care of these guys before we got to the beach. Like behind, uh, enemy, behind lines. enemy lines. Take care of the big guns that would yeah. be pounding the beach while they actually did yep. the beach evasion. That obviously did not happen. Everything went wrong. You know they somehow were, were known, and you know they just started shooting down all the planes. People were jumping out all over the place, missing their marks, and they were spread all over. Now, um, not exactly sure exactly how that, or you know what happened in the Pacific, but you know Edward missed his mark, and he found himself smack dab in the middle of enemy territory, and he was just fighting his way out. Um, his unit lost him at some point in time and they never saw him again. Therefore they considered him KIA killed in action. If you didn't know what that means. (laughs) Um, so let's move on to the story of Bob. So Bob was actually killed on D day while storming the beaches of Normandy. Um, it was a, it does not specify which beach he was on. I imagine it was Utah or Omaha, those because those were the, those american, were the beaches. american beaches um the other beaches that were there were uh let's see gold sword and i let's see i put it down here gold sword and juno um i don't know which ones i know that the um the the british took one was connect Can- Can- canada. canada took another and I can't remember if we were like, I don't know what the other one yeah. was, but anyway, so we put, so we there took five beaches, there are five beaches that we took Utah and Omaha were the Utah or where the, uh, American beaches that, you know, our, our Americans took? Unfortunately, those were just the craziest, um, that oh, happened. they were. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, you don't hear a lot about the other three. Yeah, you hear true. a lot no. about the first two. Um, but, Anyway, so so Bob was on one of the beaches. Doesn't specify which beach, but however, he died while manning a machine gun. Um, he had two other soldiers with him. Uh, he told them to get out, and so they started running along with the rest of his team, and he was just fending off uh, these Germans with the with the machine gun, and then eventually there was just too much power. They overpowered him, and they killed him. So he died there. Um Next was uh, is the story of Preston. So Preston actually made it through D-Day. He made it through storming the beaches. Um, he didn't make it much further than that, though. He died uh, D-Day plus one. Uh, so on June 7th, 1944. He was further inland. Uh, also, if you've seen uh, Band of Brothers, you kind of s- see, uh, can, can picture... What they did, because in episode three, what they did was now that they've taken the beaches and everything, um, uh, there were a bunch of uh, missions that went out to go and take these uh, other Chris Beck batteries, uh, which were basically um, just these artillery cannons that were encased in like a concrete bunker that could fire shells miles off of off of the coast. And they were sinking U.S. destroyers. Oh, okay. and so what we needed was we needed uh, you know our infantrymen to go in and and capture these these artillery guns, and so he was on one of those missions. He got wounded. Is that uh, the
0: episode where they're like running through the trenches? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: So um, he he went to do one of those. Um, got got wounded, um, and then and then ended up dying that day. So that was. That was Preston. Now on to the youngest of them all, uh, Fritz. So there was four brothers. There was four brothers. Okay. So this would be the this Private would be Ryan Private Ryan that they're trying to save them. Uh-huh. So word of the three brothers' deaths spread throughout the government, um, and uh, eventually they made the decision to send somebody in to find Frederick Fritz um, and and send him home. Sadly enough, after receiving. The, the three flags on the same day, uh, his mother received a letter from him, from Fritz, uh, where he was just kind of bragging about, you know, how many war stories he's going to be able to tell. Like, I guess his, his father was in was in a war and he said that, you know, when I get home, my stories are going to blow his out of the water and stuff, you know. And he obviously had no clue that his brothers had died. Um, Did any of the other brothers know that the other brothers died well no. When they died? Well, no, because one was in the Pacific. There was no way that and that was just a month prior to when D-Day was. One died on June 6th, D-Day. The other one died the day after. But they were all separated into yeah. different things. So there's no way that any of them would have known. The only two that had a slight connection were Fritz and his and the oldest brother, um Edward, Edward because they were both in the airborne infantry. But one was with 101st, which was fritz and then the other one was the 82nd which was which was edward so um they and the
0: 101st is the whole like
1: band that's of brothers, the band right? of brothers okay. yeah yeah so um hold on just a second so anyway after this whole thing it doesn't really go into a lot of like what his story was and how he was what happened to him during all of d-day but uh after uh you know a little while And after everything kind of died down, after we took the beaches and everything, uh, Fritz went off to go and find his brother because he knew like whereabouts the 82nd Airborne Infantry was supposed to be meeting, you know, um, after everything was said and done. Mm -hmm. When he got there, that's when he learned that his brother had passed. Um, And then uh, that is also where – so in the movie, you know, there were eight guys headed by – Tom, Tom Hanks's Hanks character. They went all throughout Normandy to try and find Private Ryan, and it ended up being this big thing. It was not as you know climactic as that. You know, it wasn't as grandiose. Yes, yeah, it was not like that. Uh, they actually didn't send a, tr- a bunch of troops. It was just one guy, and he was actually a chaplain. Um, his name was. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. So, um, what's a chaplain? It's like a priest. Okay. So, father. His name was Father. Francis Sampson, and so they just told this guy, like, you know, go see if you can find him. Go, go check with all these groups and things like that. And he ended up going because they knew a whereabouts he should have been.
0: Wait, he was in the military, or he was just yeah, like a yeah. Chaplain that, no, he no, there. he was he
1: was in the military. Oh, okay. Um, and so he went up to the 82nd, and ended up finding finding Francis or Fritz, whatever you want to call him. Wait, and, the 82nd or the. What, for, well, he went for, to the 82nd. Everything was spread all throughout. It's just yeah. he was starting to go to where everybody was supposed to meet. Yeah, um, A lot of the 101st were mixed with the 82nd. A lot of the 82nd were mixed with the 101st. Oh, okay. It's just Fritz went to the 82nd meeting spot because he knew that that's where his brother should be. And uh, so while he was there, this chaplain ended up finding him and told him about his brothers. and uh, And then told him that because of that, you have a ticket home. Now, much like the part in that we just listened to at the beginning of this segment where Matt Damon was having a hard time because he wanted to stay and everything that actually happened. Uh, you know, um, he didn't, you know, convince every, you know, the chaplain to stay and help fight, you know, this in, <laughs> uh, and, and save this bridge. But he, you know, he did tell that, but you know, the chaplain just told him like, look, that's not up to you. Like there are a lot of high powers that have made the decision that you're going home. And so you're going home. Oh, uh, okay. he, they then shipped him to England and then back to New York, where he finished out his service as a, a an MP, a military police. That is not the end, though. There is one small thing that I want to bring up, and it's a little surprise, some unexpected news. So, it turns out, in May of 1945, the Neelands, Nylands, gosh dang it, the Nylands received some much-needed good news. The eldest brother, Edward. Um, oh, actually it wasn't, it wasn't Edward that he, uh, that was in the 80, sorry, I, it was Bob that, that was in the 82nd. Was it wasn't, it wasn't Edward cause Edward was in the Pacific. Duh. Oh yeah. So yeah, just take that conversation we had about five minutes ago and just put Bob in there instead of Edward. <laughs> <laughs> so, but turn- <laughs> <his> <laughs> magic. I'm still,
0: I'm still team Edward. <laughs>
1: Well, good because turns out uh, that uh, the eldest brother Edward had not actually died in Burma. Um, he he did, you know, fall into enemy hands, and they put him in a Japanese prison camp where he spent all of his time from from the day that he jumped in on uh, like May sixteenth or whatever, nineteen forty four. They captured him, put him in there, and he was there till May something, nineteen forty five. Um dang and uh, basically what happened was he was there who knows you know what he had to endure but um, once the war started to you know come to an end the Americans were taking over everything um, they obviously pulled out left and uh, left all these prisoners he then got out and then just ran into the Allies somewhere down the road and then you know they they uh, you know shipped him off to uh, a a medical facility to take care of him first, but then uh, ended up shipping him home. So, and uh, both. So actually,
2: two of them two of them
1: actually survived. survived. Um, Edward uh, lived until he was well, till 1983, I believe, and then Fritz till 1984. So, like right when I was born. But anyway, so that is the. Story of the Nylon brothers, which was very interesting to me as I and as I was going through this, I am definitely really soon going to be rewatching um Banda Brothers. Banda Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. I was like,
0: ah, I might just download Saving Private Ryan and watch it tonight. You should do that too. So Banda Brothers was all about the hundred first first and just yeah. followed them. Yep. Okay. For Ten episodes. It's an HBO miniseries. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like the best one. They I do remember. Have I don't remember
2: if I ever watched the whole thing. You or should. If I just watched started it and then did never finish it because I don't remember a lot of the things that you guys are talking about. Yeah. So.
1: Well, and that's the thing. Like the hundred first. You know, I talked about the Battle of the Bulge. They were there. You know. In fact, um, General Patton. Um, cause they were, they were there at the front lines in Bastogne, which was like the city. There was like, uh, that, uh. They were like right outside of I think Bastogne, and they needed to take that to to move in, in inward. In the freaking, in the freaking cold freezing, woods. they didn't have any socks or any like really any boots or nothing. They were pretty much cold. out of ammo, no coats, and they were just stuck in this freezing cold. I mean, most of the people were just getting like gangrene and and uh, just losing their limbs that way, frostbite, um, frostbite and all that stuff. And uh, but i mean you talk to anybody that's that's living today or or you know anybody that's been asked about it uh because general Patton came in with his his guys and like saved the day we'll put that in in air quotes and uh you know they they say you know we didn't need any saving like we had this and uh but i mean i'm still like hey more guys can't hurt right (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah i mean it's just different you're you're kind of different areas there but uh but yeah i mean they you get to see all that and so it's just interesting knowing that that's kind of part of my history just with my great uncle um and in him being there it's just interesting to see when it's played out in uh um, in a series. In a, yeah, in a cinematic way. So, yeah. which is cool. So, well, that's it, guys. Um, thank you very much for listening. Hopefully, you were enlightened and, and were able to learn something here. Um, don't forget that Mondays we release our dream episodes. And we've got a good one coming up for you. Dream episode number seven, um, which uh, is a doozy. <laughs> Hopefully- You've listened Wait, to no, that, no tsunami was the last, last. One. this one Hopefully is. Hopefully you've
2: listened to 1 through 6 already and not that you'd need to listen
1: to them in chronological <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> order
2: they have nothing to do with each
0: other they just are all entertaining yeah. in ca- unless we like when we're talking we're like referring back to a previous one that we yeah. just but
1: but uh but yeah so make sure to catch that uh we usually release Monday morning and uh and it's yeah, yeah. Trust me, you it won't be. You will not be disappointed. But
2: also before, before you uh, let everyone know where they can find us and where to follow us, um, do you guys know how many segments we do per episode? Three. And is that a Fibonacci number?
1: That is also just a normal number. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Even our show has Fibonacci numbers in it. <laughs> okay.
1: all right well thanks again guys make sure i mean wherever you're listening to us is probably on one of these but uh, itunes google play or what's apple podcast but google play spotify stitcher and then of course youtube so uh, we're trying to get as many subscribers as possible and and i uh mentioned last time i think we're going to be um or was it last week? We time? have a couple of videos. Yeah, we are going to be posting some videos here soon. So just make sure you you go over there, subscribe, and catch those. Um, go to our website, cucopodcast.com where we can uh, you know just interact and you know give us some ideas on what you would like to learn about. Um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at cucopodcast And then of course, don't forget to leave us five stars. We really love stars. Well, Alan really loves stars. because they're in space. And so what better (laughs) gift than to
2: give him five at one time? of them. Because if you give him one, it just takes a lot longer to get him all the stars that he wants. But if you enjoy any part of this, or you hate the whole thing, and you have an enemy that you do not like, either way, share this with your friends or your enemies, or your frenemies, as I think the (laughs) children are calling it (laughs) nowadays. Uh, And that's another great way that you could help us out so that we can spread the word. And honestly, we just want to get to the point where we are so famous that we can go into some restaurant or something in Salt Lake City and they will comp us dinner.
1: (laughs) That is the (laughs) level of (laughs) of fame that we want. (laughs) (laughs) We want to be able to go into a Denny's downtown salt lake city and get comp food yeah. because we are podcast the grand slam <laughs> so. and they'll
2: be like yo you're at denny's your name is danny that's pretty close you get free food
1: <laughs> all right guys <laughs> <laughs> that's it for today tonight or whenever you're listening thanks again and we will see you next week